This is Ian Hartley. I'm Warren Kay. And I am Sasha Steenbergen. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast. We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see him more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly. to this episode of Rediscovering God as we continue on our journey in the book of Genesis. We're now going to Genesis 2, and we're looking at the intimate, imminent creator. Ian, lead us in. So, uh, at our last podcast, we talked about the first creation account, and we said that it is a transcendent account. God yes. is just giving commands, you know, do this, do that, um, whatever. But this one, uh, God shows up uh, as a relational creator. We'll talk about that uh, later. Um, and so we say this is the imminent uh, creation because God's actually present. He is kneading and molding the clay and breathing into Adam, uh, the breath of life. Mm. Do, do you get the difference where I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. It's, and it's, you pointed out, as we will get to, I'm sure, that even he molds the animals, which I had never realized before. And so that it's more than just molding uh, Adam in the ground, in the clay, but the animals as well. So, yeah, very involved, hands-on. Yeah. So the, the, uh, the first account in chapter one uh, is about God creating things. And now in chapter two, he's entering into a relationship with beings and even the animals yes. uh, that is made. Mm -hmm. So why do we start on verse four of chapter two and not verse one? This is kind of like a little review. Well, because the chapter break is in the wrong place, right. as made evident by the name given for God, from just God to Lord God. Good. Wow. Warren, that is 10 points for you. <laughs> <laughs> well done. You know, you know, some people conclude that there were two creations because they're two creation accounts and they're so different. Um, but, you know, I really enjoy listening to a couple describe their vacation. And this is typically what happened. The man brags about all the wonderful things they did. And then the woman chirps in and says, but we got upset stomachs. Or, <laughs> but the mosquitoes were terrible. And uh, there's a reason for this. The man is in competition with the other couple. And the woman feels that they're being alienated with all his bragging. So she says something to build community again. Oh, so <laughs> true, Ian. <laughs> so it reminds me of a story that I uh, 
read once in a book by Florence Litauer. And it, the book is about different personality types. And so she's one personality and her husband is very different. And so she tells the story of how she had described this trip that they had. And she was describing it in all kinds of detail about how they were driving here and driving there and all the different complications and whatever. And when she got done, he just said two words. We flew. <laughs> but she, she wasn't going to let the details mess up a good story. That's good. I like it. <laughs> okay, so um, let's read a few verses, starting with verse 4. Um, Warren, if you want to read. Uh... This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth, for the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath into a breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Thank you. So in the first uh, creation account, God looks at everything and says it's good, it's very good. Um, it's like a very triumphalistic account. Now, all of a sudden, you've got something that's not so good. As, you get it? As in the, there, there's nothing growing yet. Yeah. There are mm. no wild plants or grains growing on the earth. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like the other account, everything is, is immediately exists and it's good. Right. And this one, it's more gradual because there's nobody to cultivate it. And so there's nothing growing. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Interesting. This is what leads us to suspect that uh, chapter one is a very ancient creation story that Moses cut and paste. Mm. Uh, he, he didn't contribute to it. Uh, but now he's describing his take on it. Uh, maybe he's modifying chapter one or he's got from a different account, oral account, and he actually describes the creation in terms of what he knows. Like he lives in the desert. Um, in Egypt, you have this narrow ribbon down the Nile, but apart from that, it's all desert. He has been herding sheep in the desert. And uh, so this is how he sees the original creation. And you only have... Uh, luxuriant life where you have an oasis or a garden or a paradise or a bride those are all synonyms for this culture in the middle east i like that you're framing it in the context of what he knows because then yeah. that somehow really gives um, life to the story it almost gives you the sense that he's there watching it happen yeah yeah so let's focus on this uh, 
we could of course ask questions about there was no why was there no rain why were there no people but let's focus on what we do know something about so look at this uh, very imminent very intimate very personal account the lord formed the man from the dust of the ground so you can imagine that making this clay form and then it says he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils so you don't do that at a distance i prefer i prefer the picture of uh, snow white being kissed back into life <laughs> <laughs> as to breathing into his nostrils but you know it, it was hard for moses to know he wasn't that close to tell where the lips were ah <laughs> oh, that's awesome it's well, so it's so funny i just realized that i've heard this story i think so many times in my life that i i just completely go oh yeah and then you know he made like a mud thing and then he sculpted it and made it into a person but as we're reading it now, I'm going like, this is actually quite a story. Like to to think that this is actually real, because <laughs> you know in Harrison they always have the sandcastle um competition every year, and the stuff that these people make is incredible. Like like unbelievable detail, intricate castles and whatnot. But the idea that you can turn something from, uh, you know, a physical mm. earthly matter, like like dust and clay, to, to then become a live person. I mean, it's just amazing to think how that all of a sudden transforms to blood cells and <laughs> nerves and everything. Yeah. yeah. The custom uh, in some cultures of kissing might be an attempt to replicate what's actually going on here mm -hmm. um now that's come see come say uh, i don't really have any evidence for that it's just conjecture but what i do know is that what god literally did for adam was to inspire him mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this is the uh, original meaning of inspiration wow Wow, and that and that is a reality for everyone for all time to be inspired by God. Yeah, to to receive the breath of life. Yeah, into yourself from God. Wow. Yeah, so that we can see Him more clearly, love Him more dearly, and follow Him more nearly. I like that. I've heard that before somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> So um, just before Jesus leaves his disciples, when he ascends to heaven, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. So he's reenacting this inspiration of Adam. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Uh, let's, uh, Sasha, if you can read a few more verses. So you're reading from verse 8. Read up to verse 14, please. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. The first branch, called the Pishon, flowed around the entire land of Havilah, where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone are also found there. The second branch, called the Gion, flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch, called the Tigris, flowed east of the land of Ashur. The fourth branch is called the Euphrates. Yeah, so th this is another evidence that Moses is describing things in terms of what he knows, because he's aware of the Euphrates and the Tigris. Uh, and the Gion and the Pishon uh, are also there in the Middle East, in the Mesopotamian area. They're just smaller, less well-known rivers. So he uses these names, uh, which are common in his day, to name the rivers. Uh, that uh, came from the single river that came out of the Garden of Eden. So I've heard you describe uh, the the, um, the the system that God used back then to water the earth. Um, it was different than the way it is now, because now the rivers flow to a water source, to the ocean, whereas here they are, originate in the garden and they they go out to the the world to to uh, water the earth yeah um we had an arterial system according to moses here in genesis uh, like you the blood starts in the big arteries from your heart and then they become smaller and smaller as they reach out to the extremities but then your veins collect water the blood from your extremities and they get bigger and bigger as they flow back to the heart. Mm -hmm. So it seems like this was an arterial system in Moses' day, that there was this huge river originating uh, in the east or in Eden, and it gradually got smaller as it watered the earth. And then there must have been underground uh, aquifers that brought the water back to wherever its source was. Hmm. Then after the flood, uh, you have what you were talking about, is that the rivers all start small and get bigger and bigger and finally flow into the sea. And then the, the, the heat from the sun evaporates the water in the sea and it becomes vapor and collects in the clouds. The clouds are blown inland and they deposit the water uh, on the land again. When you think about it, it's quite an intricate system. It yeah. is. It is. Yeah. Now, it, Ian, well, I was just going to say, um, now that we're hearing this story again, I'm, you know, from a kid, when I heard this story, I always wondered, well, where was Eden? Like if Eden was here on this earth and then, you know, they were put out of Eden and here we're hearing the rivers that are actually here. Like, where is Eden? <laughs> are you asking where is it now or where was it located then? Well, what happened to Eden? Yeah, like, is mm. it, was it here? Is it, just mysterious like invisible like 
but is it here on this earth still? <laughs> if I can ask a childlike question. <laughs> yeah, well, the people who live in British Columbia think they are Eden. Uh, <laughs> they're a long ways from the river Euphrates. <laughs> yeah. And they also yeah, smoke smoke a lot of uh, vegetation. I really don't know, uh, Sasha, how to answer your questions. It seems yeah. like this was a literal uh, place uh, where they lived in that was yeah. cultivated and just uh, exploding with life. Let's talk about the two trees, uh, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Sounds good. Somehow the tree of life uh, rejuvenated life uh in in human beings at least not sure about the animals so we've always been looking for this elixir of life right. subherb shrub, chemical experience that would enable you to live forever and of course, the geneticists are really interested in this these days. Uh, they're talking about uh, modifying our DNA to extend our lives. And there's no reason why they shouldn't have some success in that, except that it never lasts for eternity. doesn't matter how many bran muffins you eat, <laughs> how many ice creams you don't eat. We all die. Yeah. You know. Um. Well, and, and I'm reminded of uh, what it says in Revelation 22 in describing that tree that we will once again have access to. It says, on each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for, the heal for medicine to heal the nations. So we'll once again have access to that tree of life. Yes, and... I would like to throw in a, a curveball here and say that we already have access because the tree that was planted on Calvary on which our Savior was crucified is the counterpart, mm. is the foil, is the prophetic um, action by God of the tree of life that will be present physically in the new earth. Hmm. The tree so, that that continues to inspire us. Yeah. Yes. And is life-giving. Yeah. Eternal life-giving. Mm -hmm. How about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? This word knowledge uh, is actually a derivation from the word yada. We've talked about this before. I think yada... Uh, when Jewish people say, oh, yada, 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 uh, which means I know, I know, I know, you don't have to tell me all that, okay. But that word yada uh, is used in 4 verse 1, Adam yadded his wife, and she conceived a child. So yada does not refer just to cognitive information. It refers to 
the emotional experiencing of something. Mm. So this tree was not just about knowledge. This tree was about experience. So I can illustrate that to you by saying that uh, I have information about post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, but I have no experience of it. There's a difference, okay? Yeah. I I have knowledge about alcoholism, but I've never been an alcoholic. Now, this tree gave you the experience. When you ate from it, you experienced it. It's, it's like these uh, psychogenic drugs that you take. They don't just give you heightened uh, thinking processes. There's an emotional response mm-hmm. in you. So when, when we talk about God knowing about good and evil, is that then him having seen the experience with Lucifer having come out of, you know, life, I guess, really, um, into like crossing over into evil? Uh, is that his experience with it? Or is it just an intellectual experience before that knowing all things so he knows what is to come like how how does that work for him for god so i'm going to quote an answer to you the the cross is a revelation to our dull senses of the pain that sin from its very inception brought to the heart of god so that quote um illuminates God's experience is that he has actually experienced uh, the effects of sin. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So going on. Like a a parent who has a a drug-addicted child. The parent isn't a drug addict, but they experience the pain of having to watch their child destroy themselves. So Adam is warned or commanded not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as the consequence is death. So we better read this first. Now, Warren, can you uh, carry on reading um, from verse, um, where did we get to? Verse 15. Uh, yes, please. If you can read 15 to 17. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. It's very interesting that the translation you used said, God warned the man. Mm -hmm. He didn't threaten him. This, This death that God is warning Adam about is is not a punishment from God. It's a consequence that's inherent yeah. in the action of eating from the tree. It's like warning your kids not to go too close to the edge of a precipice. Yeah, or not to poke their fingers into a power outlet. Yeah. This is a huge concept we're talking about. Is death the concept, uh, the consequence of wrongdoing, or is it a punishment from God? Yeah, that that is a big um, 
at that that's being I don't know if it's really being talked about a lot, but there are certainly differing opinions on that. Some people read this, uh, these verses we've just read, and what they take away is that if you sin, God is going to kill you. Yeah. Well, and, and there was always the added part, like that, you know, it would make him very sad and that he wouldn't want to, but that he would have to because there cannot be any sin in heaven. Well, and he had to be just. He had to be just, right? Like that you could go and live the the life that whatever you were doing, but that it was going to have consequences because ultimately he couldn't let that slide. Yes, and there are innumerable stories in the Old Testament which support this idea. As a touching the ark and being instantly killed, uh, rebellious people get swallowed up by the earth. Mm -hmm. The flood. Yeah. The flood. Um, so uh, if you want to believe that God kills people if they choose to sin, you can find a lot of evidence for it. So rather than dialogue about um, these two uh, very different um perceptions of what this actually means in the day you eat of the tree you're going to die let's just talk about what we mean by death uh, um, quickly um, my experience in working in uh, seniors homes and hospice is that when you've died emotionally or spiritually you actually want to die physically there's spiritual death where you lose your relationship with God. There's emotional death, where you lose your relationship with others and yourself. Yeah. And then there's physical death, where your material body finally stops functioning. And in, in terms of a, a long life, my experience with people is they get to a place where they'd rather die than continue in the state they're in with that particular quality of life. They say things like, I'm ready to go, I'm tired, uh, I'm just a drag on society, uh, I'm not contributing anymore, uh, my friends have all died, I've got nothing mm -hmm. to live for anymore. By the way, that's why I'm trying to make younger friends. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, you've you're doing got a good job. We're, <laughs> we're pretty young. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, um, that might be true for Sasha, Warren, but you're not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, okay. Ian's been on fire this morning. He's got him. <laughs> He's got the Warren. singers coming fast. No, no, Warren is handsome, but not pretty. <laughs> Oh, man, that's going to add a few extra years to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, let's read verse 18. Um, we we move to a different uh, uh, 18 to 20. Sasha, if you can read those three verses, please. All right. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper for him who is just right for him. 
So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. Yeah, thank you. I love this, the the author of this. This is lovely, the translator. Just right for him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, there's no way to complain about this partner because it's, it's being ordained as just the right one. <laughs> well, I can tell you're incurably romantic and you've found your star in... Genesis chapter 2. I love it. So I just want to show you what's happening here. Maybe you've got it. And the first verse says, there's nobody for for Adam. Uh, for Adam. Yeah, he doesn't have a companion. Mm -hmm. Then what happens? God formed from the ground. Interesting. Most people don't know that. They no, think it was I... unique to Adam. Yeah. If, if, so Adam doesn't have a companion, so the Lord makes animals, and then he brings them to Adam, and Adam has to name them, and then it ends up saying, well, there was still no companion <laughs> for Adam. <laughs> he had to get ready, Ian. He had to learn empathy. He had to learn curiosity and getting all the inspiration for all the names so that when he meets Eve, he's like, oh my goodness. Now I've seen a lot of good things so far, but this is the best. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I'm, I'm glad I'm happy to be part of the filling of your heart with happiness and romantic <laughs> ideas and thoughts. <laughs> so, um, it's very hard to keep you on track, Sasha. I know. I'm so sorry. My goodness here. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> um, so watch this. Why are the animals drawn into this? It could have just said Adam looked around the garden and didn't find a companion. So, you know, the Lord's going to, it's like the segue for the action that's coming. Right. Building so the maybe, action. Yeah. Naming in Hebrew culture is not just uh, assigning a label. It is understanding the organism's um, personality and character. Uh, and then it's named according to it. Mm -hmm. The Hebrew names are actually epithets. They, they are an attempt to describe... Um, the animal or the person. Mm. So when it says Adam named them all, it means he got to know their personalities, their characteristics, and so on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine uh, Adam seeing a bonobo or a chimpanzee or some other humanoid primate in the distance and thinking, this might be it. <laughs> oh, oh no that's tickling my funny bone there ian that's a good one <laughs> so, and then the closer it comes the more adam realizes this is not part of my this is not part no. of my flip 
Okay. I see. So there has to also be a learning also of him and the world, like how to interact with that as well and to recognize him as separate from these things as well. Boy, this is very cool. You know, you know, can you see all the relationships developing here between Adam yeah. and the animals and Adam and himself in his loneliness? This is truly a remarkably ingenious, creative uh, story that's being told here. Well, and even uh, when we first read the verse, what struck me was how, like, what a gift it was from God to give Adam the opportunity, like, that he actually brought these animals as he makes them to Adam, and Adam gets to have the joy of realizing that he gets to actually be a really par a big part of the whole process, and how I'm just thinking how for kids, you know, when you let them like you know bake the cookies for christmas or decorate the tree like they get so excited they get so involved they're so invested so then later i'm thinking that when he tells them that he's like and and you're going to be the one who's going to take care of all of these things he's emotionally invested in the whole process so of course he's going to want to do that yeah he was part of the creation yeah I, it seems to me uh, dawned on me that th this is the beginning of uh, a patriarchy, though, because it says she was a helper just right for him. They weren't just right for each other. <laughs> Trust me, I heard it. I heard it in the reading. <laughs> <laughs> you you showed restraint to not comment. I I thought, well, you know, hopefully when she you know, wakes up from her creation and she looks at Adam that she has the same thought. <laughs> it just wasn't written from her perspective. That's right. She never got to have the voice. So um, <clears throat> there's a discordant note here that is not found in chapter one. True. In chapter one, and just, oh, it was good. Oh, it was good. Oh, it was very good. Oh, it was good. Oh, it was good. Oh, it was exceptionally very fantastically good. <laughs> yeah. Now, for the first time you have, have here, it is not good. Right. Yeah. Yes. For man to be alive. So, um, so God does something about it. So we need to read what he did about it. And that goes from verse um, 21 to the end. Um, Warren? So the Lord God called, caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, he exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She, she will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now the man and the wife and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. All right, that last uh, verse is the uh, connector 
for the next chapter. Mm. It's setting the stage. Um, let's go back to verse 21. So the Lord God causes the man to fall into a deep sleep while the man sleeps. And God takes something out of him. Uh, the word rib is most unfortunate. Um, this, this word that's translated rib uh, is tsela, T-S-E-L-A. And it's associated with side 35 times. Hmm. And only once was rib. Oh, really? Hmm. Yes. So God took something out of his side? Is that what it's... What What is it meaning? Well, from the context, it actually means that God took Adam's side or half of it and formed it into woe man. <laughs> now, th this is very interesting. Uh, first of all, um, the female gender has an XX chromosome, whereas the male gender has XY. So you couldn't make a woman with XX and draw out an XY because the Y wasn't there. Mm. But you can draw out an XX from an XY. So just genetically, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so um, what it also means is that Adam encompassed male and female up to this point. Now, here's something interesting about the development of human beings in the womb. When males are born, they have two nipples on their chest, which they retain throughout the life. Mm -hmm. So the fetus actually is female which has to be converted to male mm. mm -hmm. by testosterone washes. We know more and more about this. Mm -hmm. And Tim Jennings is really an interesting person to read on this. There's yeah. a chapter in the book called The God-Shaped Brain. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not far to suggest that, uh, that this was... Uh, an illustration of how God encompasses all things, but that he would take out half of himself and that half would become material because he is spirit and come and live with us and adopt us into this family of God. So it's all in, uh, in the story of what we're being told. You see, um, Hebrews uh, are great storytellers, and they have a particular view of what a story is. A story is meant to communicate something. It's not about the story, but the implications of the story. Mm -hmm. It's like we know that from parables, but it's also true for all uh, um stories told by Hebrews, like we Greeks. So the first story we ask, a uh, first question we ask after hearing a gripping story is, is that true? 
<laughs> like we missed the whole thing. This right. question we should ask is, what are the implications yeah. of yeah. that story? What does it mean? Yeah. How must I change the way I think or feel or act? Yeah. So, you know, the classic uh, fairy story is uh, Sleeping Beauty. And along comes the handsome knight. And what does he do to bring her to consciousness? He kisses her. Mm -hmm. Guys, that's the story we've just been reading. Yeah. All of us want the kiss of life. We want it now and we want it forevermore. So we make this great dichotomy between fairy stories and the true stories of the Bible. And when you really think about them, both those stories are telling you, you need the kiss of life. And the exciting thing is it's available uh, new every morning. Yeah. You know what? We've done chapter two. Chapter two. Except we need to say, um, just draw attention to it. Um, Moses says, um, this explains why a man leaves his parents and is joined to his wife. Now, in our society, it's the opposite. Mm -hmm. The woman leaves her parents and joins the man. And this is symbolized by her taking his name. Mm. So right? that's actually interesting that, you know, as we were talking about the beginning of patriarchy there, that actually the idea was for him to come with her. I mean, I don't know where she is going or what she's doing, but <laughs> he's leaving his family to come be with her in the original story. I'm... That's interesting. Yeah. You know, it really helps to look at what's being said and and try and connect it to the culture and mm. uh, the time uh, and ask yourself, so how strong is the coupling between the two? I, what I'm really, uh, I always seem to think of things too late. Mm. I really wish I'd known what I know now when our children, our girls were getting married. Um, I would have suggested to them that they keep their names, their last names, mm -hmm. because there's a lot of patriarchy involved yeah. in the woman taking the man's name. Mm -hmm. it, it is symbolic of uh, immersing her identity in the man's identity. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Good point. So aren't these uh, chapters interesting? This is fascinating stuff. <laughs> <laughs> My brain is really working. Mm -hmm. So I just want to remind you that Moses wrote Genesis um, as the family tree for the Israelites. This mm -hmm. is where they came from. Mm -hmm. This is who they are. And it takes it right back to God. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Let's pray together. Dear God, you truly are our source of being and life and consciousness. And you made us 
so that we could be companions with you. And we so often settle for treating you as a transcendent being and missing out on the emotional connection we can have. Thank you, Lord, for inspiring and empowering and energizing Moses to write down um, this, these stories in Genesis. Where would we be without them? Thank you, Lord. You are gentle. Uh, you are compassionate. You are considerate. And you are our God. We're so privileged. There's none like you. We worship you. Amen. You will find the PDF document that we're following today on our website, rediscoveringgod.ca, where the recordings, the PDFs, the podcasts are all listed there. And you can share that website with your friends and they can follow along. We'd also really love to invite you to the Monday night Zoom discussion where we all gather in fellowship with each other, all us listeners of the podcast where we can come with our questions, comments, thoughts, um, resources. It's a wonderful time of encouragement where um, we get to affirm each other and encourage each other. Um, so that's a Monday night at 7.30 Mountain Time. You can just type in 403-506-9201. And we'd love to have you there.